Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this episode, recorded as hair and beauty salons in England prepare to reopen in line with current government guidance, we look at how the sector has been affected by COVID-19. Due to the nature of hairdressing and beauty treatments, special rules apply to those businesses operating these close contact services. From PPE requirements to risk assessments, hair and beauty businesses need to be aware of a range of responsibilities essential to keeping their staff and customers safe. This is why Business Companion, a free online service provided by the Chartered Trading Standards Institute, has provided a dedicated coronavirus bulletin specifically for hairdressers and beauty salons. This guidance, as well as the other coronavirus bulletins, is available at businesscompanion.info forward slash focus forward slash coronavirus dash covid dash 19. We'll be hearing from Helen Buckingham, a chartered environmental health practitioner who wrote the guidance, in addition to several other Business Companion coronavirus bulletins. We'll also be hearing from Richard Lambert, Chief Executive of the British Hair and Beauty Federation, about the challenges facing his members, as well as Marion Newman, an expert on the nail industry who discusses some of the specific issues encountered by nail salons during the course of the past year. Helen started things off by giving us a bit of background on her career and her involvement in writing the COVID-19 guidance. I'm a chartered environmental health practitioner by profession. I've spent much of my working career in local government, particularly in fields of health and safety. I do a lot of work with local authorities, with OPSS, with FSA, with CIH and CTSI, writing the business companion guides being one of those tasks. My name is Richard Lambert. I'm Chief Executive of the National Hair and Beauty Federation. Uh, National Hair and Beauty Federation is the longest standing and the largest of the trade associations for the hair and beauty industry in the UK. We've got around 6,700 members. Our aim is to help our members run successful, but profitable and sustainable businesses. And we do that by providing them with advice, information, guidance and support across the whole range of uh, their needs and activities. My name is Marion Newman. I've been in the professional nail industry for 30 plus years. I'm on the advisory board of the British Beauty Council and they asked if I would write some sector specific guidelines because, as you know, the government wrote the general guidelines, but the various bodies within the whole uh, personal care, as it's now called, um, that they all wrote their own sector-specific guidelines. So I wrote some sector-specific guidelines for the professional nail industry. Helen, perhaps you could start things off by telling us a bit about the COVID-19 bulletins that Business Companion's been putting out over the past year. The Business Companion bulletins are a fantastic suite, uh, range of documents written by experts in the field, uh, a lot of them written by regulatory experts, many of them by trading standards regulatory experts. There are others written by environmental health regulatory experts like me. A range of topics written for a business audience, but their focus is generally, in my experience, so clear and well laid out that actually many of my regulatory colleagues refer to them as well for a quick, uh, concise guide to what's going on. So the uh, CTSI, the Business Companion team, contacted me as I'm known to them, having done various bits and pieces with them over the years, to say, look, we could do with a regulatory perspective on COVID-19 um, and how it is affecting some of the business sectors out there. 
So I wrote a, a huge one initially called the Retail Guide, which contains five different appendices covering shops, offices, restaurants, working in other people's homes, working from vehicles. And the Hair and Beauty Guide was the next one that I wrote. So that's the one we're talking about today. The hair and beauty sector, otherwise known as close contact services, which has been the government's phrase for this, this sector of business since day one. So it's your hair, beauty, tattooing, nail services, spa, uh, accommodation, that kind of thing, because they are the very trades that bring one human being into contact with another. And of course, at that moment, that's where the highest risk of the transmission of the virus is going to take place. So Richard, obviously all businesses have been affected by the events of the past year, but the hair and beauty sector has been hit particularly hard, hasn't it? Our members understood the reasons why close contact services had to close. They understood the restrictions. It was a difficult thing for them to do, but I think across the board, the view was the safety of the clients, their teams and their families were the most important thing. So everyone understood why they were being asked to do what they were, they were being asked to do. The main concern I think everyone had was, was the financial impact. I and mean, if you're faced the prospect of closing your business, um, what's that mean? What's that going to mean? The next questions that started coming through to us was then about how they undertook the, the safety checks they needed to do, how to close the business efficiently and effectively, how to uh, inform their clients. Obviously, there were things around how furlough worked and how they would deal with their staff. There were also uh, we needed to make sure that people remembered that um, there, there, there would be issues around insurance. If you leave premises empty for a period of time, then it's important that you tell the insurer that because that can have an effect on your policy. So some of those like real nitty gritty details that you might not think about in the first instance as you're trying to do deal with, with the main headline problem. But they're all the kind of things that underneath you need to make sure that you all that you've seen, you've dealt with those finer points. And Helen, the intimate nature of hair and beauty salons makes them especially difficult places to stem the spread of the virus. What have been the instructions to businesses? For anyone involved in, in a business where it brings people into close contact with another people, if you just think about how that virus gets from person A to person B and make that the central point of your all your efforts, it does help. I think. So a virus lives in the saliva of human beings and it's transmitted as an airborne particle. And, and when someone sings or speaks or spits or coughs or sneezes, boom, it's out there. It's in the air. There are really sort of a hierarchy of three different scenarios, aren't there? So there's the customer base. Anyone going into a close contact services premises must wear a face covering. Now, that is just a covering. It could be a scarf. It could be a cotton mask. It could be a paper mask. It could be something just wrapped around the head. Anyone working in the close contact services uh, environment um, should wear a type two face mask plus a visor when working in the highest risk zone. So that's the other end of the spectrum. So general public, ordinary face covering, no sort of standards around that. A practitioner working on a client in the client's highest risk zone, so that's face, eyes, nose, all these risky areas, must wear a type two face mask. And that is a triple ply, three ply face mask, plus a visor or goggles. 
Either way, whether it's a visor or a goggles, they must be worn with the face mask if you are a practitioner. And the other tip to say, and I've seen some really bad examples of this, the visor must fit closely, it must attach to the forehead and it must go as down as far as the chin and it must wrap around the side. Some of the visors seem to me to be stopping far too short or not wrapping around the face. So really there's no point if it's not gonna fit properly. If the practitioner opts for the goggles version, Again, the goggles must be sealed. So when the practitioner is working on a client, the client's high risk zone, the face, the practitioner must wear both of those things, visor or goggles plus mask, and they must be worn together. It's not an either or. And again, people tend to think, oh, I'm just gonna be here for two seconds, I'll just wear one or the other, but they have to both be worn in the high risk zone. Now, if we come away from the high risk zone, the practitioner is doing feet, the feet of a client. Instantly, you're, you're probably a, almost a couple of two meters away from this high risk zone. So I would argue then that you could lose the visor and just wear the type two face mask because close contact services, the government's advice says when in the high risk zone, you need both. Therefore, by default and thinking about risk, and this is all about risk, the minute you can put two metres away between you and somebody else, um, then you could quite safely lose the visor or goggles, but you must still keep the mask. That would be my suggestion. But really, it depends. I mean, it, this is why it's really interesting that in producing its working safely suite of documents, the government has chosen to be quite prescriptive in the steps that a business should take. That hasn't been the case for donkey's years. It's not been about that. The, the way businesses operate, it's all about health and safety driven compliance is all about risk assessment. And people sort of shut down and go cold when they hear that phrase because it always sounds so dreadful, but actually it's a really straightforward thing. Risk assessment is just assessing the risks and doing something about it. So. When I read, you know, government saying you must wear this when you're doing this and you must wear this when you're doing that, that isn't normally what, what we tend to see in a regulatory context. We, we tend to require the business proprietor to carry out a risk assessment of the activity and implement what they think is right for their circumstances. And when you think about it, that is the safest way to do it, isn't it? Because every business is different. Some people have more chairs, fewer chairs, more corridors, more bins, um, a bigger client base or only one person. You know, every business is different. The techniques, the practices, the, the services they perform are all different. So it, it's not really sensible to have too much prescriptive legislation because it's all different especially with something like COVID, because frankly, if you can keep two metres away from everyone, there's very little you need to do. But of course, in a close contact services business, like a hairdresser, like a beauty therapist, you can't keep two metres away. One of the most important things a business can do is stop ill people coming on site, frankly. And that means whether that's your own employees, your workers, or delivery drivers, or clients. If someone's ill, don't let them in. Marion, there are specific challenges for those who work in nail salons, aren't there? Could you describe those to us, please? I think every sector has had their own challenges. And certainly from the, the, the professional nail sector, we have had our challenges. And the general guidelines 
um, have been very difficult to understand what they want. Um, and I know, you know, everybody has tried really, really hard. They've done their best to meet with the guidelines, to be as safe as possible, both for them, their co-workers and obviously their clients. But it has been really difficult. I mean, just one example is you know, we had the instruction that screens, perspex screens or screens of some description need to be used when you're doing a face-to-face -face service. Well, in this particular sector, one of our challenges is that we create a lot of dust and dust is Dust is a hazard full stop. It always has been. That's, that hasn't changed. But then dust became an additional hazard because it was shown that the virus can travel on dust. So we had the instruction we had to use screens. Well, in the guidelines I wrote, and I did bring in one of the global nail experts um, on this and, and his take on it, as was mine, that a perspex screen is very static. So uh, it's got static electricity, I mean. And so it was actually attracting dust. So this is a potential hazard that was difficult to deal with. And then, then the guidance changed and we needed to wear visors. Visors have exactly the same issue in that they're plastic. So they have static electricity. And I know quite a lot of people, for example, when they removed their visors to clean them, they were wiping off as much dust on the inside of the visor as they were from the outside of the visor. So you know, we've all had our challenges and the general guidelines have been tricky to understand, I have to say. It, it needed a lot of sort of thought, you know, what is it that is actually needed and how can we adapt that to make it work for what we're doing? So it's been tricky and I understand the reasons why they have to be general. They're covering a lot of sectors, but it didn't help our sector. It needed a lot of thought and a lot of explanations and suggestions and lots of people the anxiety levels have been massive. The mental health issues have been massive. I did bring in a mental health coach actually to try and help with the issues and, you know, the uncertainty of it all. So no, it hasn't been easy, I have to say. I think people are absolutely desperate for information and the range of measures that were required, it was a lot to deal with. So the requirement for additional PPE, the visors and face marks when masks and clients, going to a strict appointment system, recording contact details, screening clients to make sure that they hadn't been exposed before they actually came in, not being having to implement social distancing within the salon, a whole range of uh, extra hygiene, sanitation and infection control procedures. And this is for a sector which regards hygiene, sanitation, infection control as absolutely fundamental to what they do. It is what they are taught from the moment they start training. But to realise that actually that's got to be taken up to a whole new level. There was a lot of work to do there. For some people, there was actually quite a lot of investment. And I've, I've talked to at least one member who said they spent £8,000 investing in reformatting re their salon so that they could give the client a good experience once they came there, even with everything else. There's a social element to places like hair and beauty salons where businesses develop quite close relationships with their customers. What effect has that had? One of the things you notice when you start to work with this sector is that the relationship between a client and their hairdresser or their beauty therapist is inextricably an intimate, close, personal relationship because of the nature of, of what's going on. And because there's usually a lot of interpersonal interaction, conversation, 
because people don't tend to chop and change their, their stylist or their therapist. In fact, actually, you can have relationships built up over years. And thinking about my own personal experience, I think I've gone to three hairdressers over the last 35 years. Because you build up that relationship, it's a much more personal thing. And I think it's something that is really valued by the hairdressers or by the beauty salons. And they wanted to make sure that they could recreate that element. And there is a big social aspect to visiting one uh, salon. And even though it has to be a more distant relationship now because of the safety provisions, nonetheless, it was I think it was very important for people to try and recreate as far as they could the same experience. Because in the end, it is about making people feel good, not just when they leave, but the whole time they're in there. A nail professional spends an awful lot of time face-to-face with their clients. I mean, unlike, say, for example, hairdressers who are standing behind them looking in a mirror. You know, somebody that is having um, a nail service, they're face-to-face, they're less than a metre, they're holding each other's hands, basically, um, and they can be with them anything from, like, 30 minutes to two hours or more. So that there is a huge amount of interaction, and I think that the, the loyalty that people are reporting is quite amazing, and, and it does seem a lot of occasions where clients are being very honest about the situation one of the areas that has been particularly difficult that I know a lot of um, nail professionals have really struggled with is when a client says well I'm um, I don't have to wear a mask well you know you're not allowed to ask why um, you know you're not allowed to go into any detail because it's it's intrusive and that's quite right but you know this whole situation of really close contact face to face is really difficult And so, again, you know, the advice that that I've given, which I believe is correct, is that every individual's risk assessment must stand. And if that individual's risk assessment says that every client must wear a mask or a visor, then that stands and they can refuse treatment. And I think that is correct. You know, I I do think it is because that worker must feel safe, must feel secure and must also feel that their client is secure. But it has been, you know, I know there have been very difficult situations where clients have, have refused to conform and a lot of people are not good at dealing with confrontation like that. And so, you know, because a lot of people work in isolation. So, you know, they haven't even got a team around them to support their decision. So, Um, That has been particularly tricky, but uh, I think on the whole, yeah, the loyalty has been great and the honesty from clients and from workers has been really good. Helen, we've been talking so far about businesses that operate from their own premises, but what do the rules say about hairdressers who visit their clients' homes? Mobile hairdressers, i.e. ones that go into people's homes or those that work out of concessions in department stores, they are all treated the same. So actually, it's the activity that's that's covered as well as the business. Whatever the rules are, have equally applied to the mobile version of it. I actually think, and again, looking at this through uh, health and safety eyes and thinking about the virus, how it's transmitted, thinking about the law, thinking about risk assessment, a mobile hairdresser, let's call it hairdresser, keep it simple, mobile hairdresser going into someone else's house is at a greater risk than working in a salon simply because you don't know what the house is going to be like that you're going into. 
You don't know how much space you're going to have. You don't know if anyone is ill at the other end when you get there. You don't know uh, if there's going to be hand gel there. Obviously, you could take your own. But, you know, you, you don't know what you're walking into. And I would always say, and I think this is in the document as well, that if you are going into someone else's home, and this, this, this is true whether you're uh, working in close contact services, whether you're a cleaner, whether you're an electrician, plumber, whatever you're doing, in someone else's home, while there's this thing called COVID, ring ahead. Ring ahead to check. Has anyone in the home currently got the symptoms? Could you give us a bit of an overview of the value of carrying out a risk assessment? Businesses in this sector have been used to doing a risk assessment for health and safety for donkey's years. It's been a legal requirement. It's a legal requirement to write it down if you have five or more employees. However, in my view, why not write it down anyway? Then you've got a record of the fact that you've done it. Then you've got something you can share with your colleagues. Ideally, they would help you write it anyway because they know how the work goes on they know how it how it all happens so it's really responsible attitude to to develop your risk assessment in conjunction with your employees and write it down and share it with them why not they're the ones that are going to be affected by it remembering that the whole point of risk assessment is to remove the risks where you can so stop doing something if you can but of course that isn't always the case because ideally you would stop doing things but it's a bit idealistic because this is a business and we want the business to keep going so if you can't stop doing things because obviously you wouldn't have a business then put steps into place to to remove the risk as far as you can finally richard from the point of view of businesses what can trading standards do to help support them at the moment I think the best thing that local authorities and um, trading standards do to help people in the hair and beauty sector is make sure that they are aware of what they need to do and make sure that everyone is doing it. Inevitably, I'm going to say, work with us, use the resources that we're providing. We launched the um, called the Do It Right campaign, which was a dual intention. Partly it was to make sure that we publicised what you need to do to, to do it right once you reopen. Also, it was to, on top of the advice, was to provide a sort of encouragement to make sure you do do that. One of the things we've been doing is encouraging salons to post photos of their teams wearing the PPE, showing that they are doing it right to inform their clients, but also to act as sort of trailblazers for others. It can be done right. It's possible to do right. And everyone should be encouraged to do it right. Equally, there's an element of, of warning in there that there are there could be serious consequences if you don't. So... Let's all get together and let's show that this is a sector which understands what's required of it and and is doing it right. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to Helen Buckingham, Richard Lambert and Marion Newman for speaking to us. And thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye.